0: Well, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I read years ago that there is a, um, and I forget what town or township in Italy, that they have a little tradition every New Year's. That the people uh, of, uh, what they do is, uh, anything that reminded them of something negative, of, that previous year, that on uh, New Year's Eve, they, they get it. And at the stroke of midnight, they take whatever it is that was a reminder of something negative of, the, of that year. And at the stroke of midnight, they open their windows and throw it out into the streets. And I thought, you know, that's, that's not a bad idea, is it? Might be a little. You might get Polk County uh, after you or whatever, but but there was something symbolic in that action of something that was a reminder <clears throat> of something that was a disappointment, a negative of the previous year, and they just kind of in that action anticipated good things and better things. Uh, this morning, as I was really this week, I had the message I'd really had planned to prepare. Uh, isn't what we're going to do today. As, as I was um, just in reading this portion in Second Timothy, I felt like the Lord just wanted me to kind of walk through some things this morning. That even though it's a negative title, it's meant to be an encouragement. I'm sure that it would be a rare person here this morning that couldn't think or name of something or someone... Or some situation that has been something that has been a disappointment this past year. Maybe you're just disappointed in yourself. That's easy to do for me. I will give you a whole list. My wife can give you a book. But dealing with the disappointments of 2019. And uh, the anticipation is, is that uh, as we leave this year behind, you realize calendars or years. God doesn't have any of those. You realize that, don't you? He's not tearing off the month, and a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. In other words, time is an earthbound issue. That's something we, we deal with. But nevertheless, when we come to the end of the year, it's a time of reflection, review, Um, about the things that have gone in the past. And hopefully with a desire to say, Lord, I'm not so naive anymore to believe there's not going to be some disappointments in 2020. That's life, right? But help me to learn where I fell short back here. Help me to grow and learn So that as those things I encounter in the new year, I've learned from the past and I've got new tools, handles that you've taught me of how to look at whatever I may or may not face in the coming year. Some Christians, and we're talking to believers, most of you, um, can get anxious and fearful when it comes upon a new year. How many of you remember the Y2K fiasco? Huh? That was what? Yeah, that was fun. It was a bunch of nothing. But some people got rich selling books and tapes, right, to a bunch of gullible people. But uh, the world was expected. People were out buying survival food and all the craziness that I always say, I want to get a jump on Y3K and try to get some money for my grandkids and start the panic early. But um, but look in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And just for context's sake, as we look at this passage and walk through some principles that I, uh, if nothing else, then they were things I need to hear. And I find that most of the time when I uh, teach or share, I really just find that I let you listen in on what God's talking to me and has been teaching me. So I'll let you listen in a little bit on some principles that God has reminded me this past week from 2 Timothy 4. Now to just kind of put it in context, this is the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. We know from his writing here and in history that Paul is in prison, he's in jail in Rome, he is facing um, an execution, he's facing death, uh, church history tells us he was beheaded, and he is writing this letter to his son in the faith who has the name Timothy, he wrote to him in 1 Timothy and other occasions, but and this is a very personal letter from the Apostle Paul. We, learned and discovered a lot about the Apostle Paul in our study of the book of Acts, didn't we? And Paul is uh, a a courageous man, but we find that he is also a very vulnerable man. And so in this last letter, there may have been other letters he wrote, I don't know, but this was, we have the Bible the Holy Spirit intended us to have. Not one edition, not one less. We have the letters and what God intended us for to have, but For all practical reasons, this probably was the last letter uh, that he wrote, and we have a copy of that in 2 Timothy. We know from chapter 4, verse 13, and again, this won't be on the screen right now. This is just uh, trying to get a little context. He tells Timothy to bring his coat to him. He's in a cold cell. Now, remember, he's in Rome. There are believers in Rome, and yet the poor man doesn't even have his coat He's in a cold cell. In chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about being in chains. I take that literally, that he was in chains. And in verse 6 of chapter 4, he's come to the conclusion and realization that his death is imminent. He's reconciled to the fact that he will not leave there. But contrary to those things, Paul is not in despair. He's not despairing. He's not giving up all hope. This is the same man who wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we walk by faith and not by what? We walk by faith and not by sight. But in verses 9 through 16, as we're going to read in a moment, you see a profound sense of disappointment. A profound sense of disappointment over those who have abandoned him, left him in his time of greatest need. And so look with me. It'll be on the screen, and you can follow along. I hope that you brought your Bibles with you. And we'll begin just picking up at verse 9, and that gives us a little bit of the context. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. He says, do your best, again, to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Only Luke, the physician, is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus and when you come, bring the cloak or my coat that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls or books, especially the parchments. Verse 14, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him. Because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. Just let that sink in. Paul, the apostle, he says, everyone abandoned him. But he says, may it not be held against them. Can you relate a little bit in any of Paul's words? Maybe rejection, abandonment, let down by a friend or someone that you trusted, uh, overwhelmed by a situation, a situation that has brought you almost to your knees, uh, overwhelming disappointment in life. And so, as we look at God's word and draw strength and encouragement this morning, I want us to ask the question is how? As we go into a new year, 2020, as followers of Christ, how do we maintain a vibrant, consistent, persevering faith in the face of disappointments? Because we know they're coming, right? We're not that naive. The question is, how will we navigate the disappointments and setbacks that will come our way? As long as we are on this earth, Living in a fallen world of sin, there will be disappointments and setbacks. And so today, Paul gives us some principles from this very personal last letter of Timothy that I trust that we can take hold of this morning that will strengthen and encourage us in faith. But before we do that, will you join with me in a word of prayer? Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, your holy word. Lord, that we have the very will of God. We have the words of God. Lord, we pray that as we conclude this last Lord's Day of 2019, Lord, that those who are discouraged, Lord, those who are disheartened, may be only known uh, between themselves and maybe one other person how they really feel. I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, will use today's word God, to bring an encouraging, uh, life-filled sense of your presence. God, that they would be encouraged by your words that are contained in the Bible, in the word of God that we have before us. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable and pleasing in your sight. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen seven principles, we won't be here for seven hours, but there's seven principles from God's Word. And unless you have a photographic memory, I would encourage you to maybe write these down. Put them in your phone, take notes with your phone or whatever it is if you don't have a pen. Because I believe that whether they're relevant now, they will be at some point. That you can go back to the Word of God And don't worry about remembering anything I say. Remember what God says. Remember what God's word says. That when you go back to this passage of scripture, you can be reminded of what God has spoken and encouraged us through his word. Notice, and they're really just seven words. um, As I, probably if I'd taken some more time, I could have come up with some better creative statements. But just seven words to work ourselves around as we look at these seven principles from God's word. Number one is the word purpose. Remember your calling in God. And we see that in 2 Timothy 1.1. Paul begins this letter when he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. I'd mark that in my Bible. I've marked things in my Bible. It is by the will of God. Now, Paul is saying that he is an apostle. There's nobody here who's an apostle. In fact, there's nobody left who is an apostle. I know there's people running around and put that title before their name, but I always have a bit of a problem with that because uh, in Revelation 21 14, It says that there are 12 foundation stones in the New Jerusalem, and each one has the name of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. So the next time a person tells you they're an apostle, say, oh, which which name are you that is in the new city in the New Jerusalem? What name are you? So don't be fooled by people going around claiming to be an apostle. But for us, we're not apostles by the will of God, but we are called by the will of God. You with me? If you get quiet, we'll just go longer, okay? Uh, We are called by the will of God. God has saved us. He has chosen us by the will of God. If you are a believer in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are only a follower of Jesus by the will of God. That means you belong to God. Sometimes we need to remember that, don't we? Like we sang that last song. I am a child of God. I belong to God. God wanted me. God made it possible through Jesus that he saved me, that he bought me as we talk about redemption. Look at the words Paul would write in another place in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works. It's not things you do. So no one can boast or brag. But look at verse 10. For we are whose handiwork? You know, in the Greek, that word handiwork can also be used for the word masterpiece. Think about that. Just take the handiwork and put the word masterpiece there. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which this God who called us, who chose us, prepared in advance for us to do. What's the point? Is that sometimes we forget that I belong to God. And when you're going through the stuff, you know the stuff? What's that old country song uh, about uh, going through hell so fast the devil won't even know you're there? Sometimes you just feel like, of course, they got their truck back and mother-in-law and they got out of prison all in that same song. But that's uh, nevertheless. But, But we go through stuff. We go through the stuff, but yet we need to be reminded of something so fundamental. I'm sure Paul, when he was in this cold prison cell, without a friend to come and see him except Luke, the physician. And when he wrote those words, maybe he wrote those words and he didn't quite feel like an apostle. You ever sometimes just don't feel like a Christian? You don't feel that God really loves you? Of course you do. I do. But when he wrote those words, you know what he was doing. He was putting truth to paper or parchment, and he was declaring by faith truth, whether he felt it or not. He says, "I am called. I am called by the will of God. And if I am called by the will of God, even though I am in a prison cell, abandoned by everybody I've tried to help and work with, guess what?" I am here by the will of God. And I'd rather be abandoned and alone in the will of God than anywhere else. And Paul could say, I remember my purpose. Sometimes we allow circumstances to define us. We kind of have a Christianity where he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And you know how I can see that in a congregation? I can just see it in your life. You're here, you're not. You're gone, you're, you're happy in Jesus, you're down, you're depressed, you're this. And that's the way it is sometimes, isn't it? I commend, and I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but Liz, my friend, I'm sure you didn't feel like being here today. Becky, Colleen, Marvin's cousin, Evelyn, who was such a good friend to Marvin and Sandy, and you didn't feel. But you knew, as long as Marvin was healthy, this is where he'd be. He was a faithful man. He was a church man, because he was a Christ man. He loved the Lord. And sometimes, like Paul, we've got to declare something even when our bodies don't feel like it. You know why? Because truth is never, never, ever held hostage by our circumstances. And sometimes we've got to speak into those circumstances, don't we? And say, I will not be defined By this disappointment. Notice secondly, pray. Pray, Praying for others. Look at this. Praying for others diverts selfish introspection. I came up with all those big words. (laughs) Have you found that when you pray for somebody, you know what it does? It gets your eyes off yourself, doesn't it? It's hard to be praying and interceding for somebody when you're consumed about yourself. Even if you're angry at somebody, you know a good way to get over that anger? Pray for them. Look at what Paul did in verse 3. He says, and I know these are, we'll spend more time in chapter 4, but it's all part of the same package. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I, what, constantly remember you in my prayers. Praying. Nothing gets you off the corner of me, myself, and I than praying for somebody else. It takes your focus off of, I'm not diminishing the real situation in your life. I'm not discounting that. But there's a way that when we begin to intercede and pray, and I tell you, here's 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 a way that helps me, is when you begin to pray and make yourself knowledgeable about the persecuted church around the world, what brothers and sisters are going through, that you and I can't even fathom, You you get a hold of, like, Voice of the Martyrs magazine. You go on their website, persecution.com. It's that simple. You get their app where every day you get a reminder of praying for the persecuted church. That has a way of diverting you off of self. Because we can really spend a lot of time at the corner of me, myself, and I, can't we? Paul said, I remember, and I continually to pray, praying for are persecuted brothers. Do you realize that's biblical? Hebrews 13.3 says, continue to remember those in prison. King James may say bonds. Remember those in bonds or in prison as if you were together, as if you were with them in prison. Those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, just kind of a little side note, what's really interesting about that encouragement that the writer of Hebrews says about remembering those who were suffering, the whole purpose of the letter to Hebrews was written to believers who they themselves were suffering. They were suffering because they were former Jews, well, they were still ethnically Jews, but they had come to faith in Christ. And they were suffering the ramifications of abandoning Judaism for Christ. And the writer of Hebrews tells them kind of what we're saying is, look, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through hardship because he tells them that in earlier. But remember those who are going through it deeper and more intense than you are. It has a way of getting our eyes off of ourself. Look at the third principle. Now, don't react when you say preach because you're like, well, that's that's what we pay you to do. Come to my house and preach at me. Yeah, I haven't gotten that invitation yet. Um, I started to put profess, proclaim, and those sound a little less abrupt. But preach is the best word because you know what we need to do? And we'll see Paul doing this. We need to preach sometimes to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. When we're disappointed, I find that what happens in my life, and I'm sure happens in your life, then when we go through disappointments, it can lead to discouragement, and sometimes it can lead to doubt. Doubt. You ever doubt God? Of course you do. Just knock the halos off your head. You doubt God sometimes just like I doubt God, right? You're not doubting God's existence, and maybe you do that occasionally. Like, God, are you even there? But sometimes you doubt, God, do you really love me? Do you really care? I know what your word says, but, you know, if you really did, why is all this Sometimes we doubt our salvation because we doubt God's love. Sometimes we doubt the reliability of the Word of God, the existence of God. uh, Jesus, we watch a Hallmark movie, or I shouldn't say Hallmark movie. Well, you never know with Hallmark now. But uh, we watch a Discovery Channel Easter movie, and now, oh, the Da Vinci Code, I'm doubting my faith because we don't have enough grounding in the Word of God. We go through doubts. Let me tell you something encouraging. In Matthew 11, it's not on the screen, Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest person who had ever lived up to that point. And yet a few verses later, John is in jail. Remember, he's in prison. Later, he would be beheaded. And he sends one of his disciples back to ask Jesus this question. Are you really... Are you really the Messiah? John the Baptist seemed to doubt whether Jesus is in an earthly sense his cousin that was Elizabeth's child. Here he is in prison and it's kind of like look if I'm going to get my literally head on the line here I want to make sure but there was some doubt. And yet Jesus called this man who doubted what? The greatest man who had ever lived. We go through doubts. And sometimes we need to preach or speak truth into our own hearts and spirits. Look at verse 6 through 12. Notice as we read this, a little longer, but I want you to notice how Paul, even though he's writing to Timothy, I want you to notice that Paul is, is kind of preaching truth to himself. He needs to remind himself of the gospel of which he was made an apostle by the will of God. Verse 6 For this reason, he tells Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us not, uh, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, which some people would think, well, if he's really an apostle, why he's in prison? Don't be ashamed of the Lord or me. Rather, join with me in suffering for what? The gospel by the power of God. Now look at verse 9. We see Paul, as an old preacher, used to say, I'm going to preach myself happy. Paul is going to preach the gospel to himself. Look at what he says being in verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Remember, he's facing death. And he says, Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, verse 11, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Not because of these lunatic, demonic, emperor, Caesar, and the Romans. And he says, I am suffering in the will of God for the sake of the gospel. Verse 12, Yet this is no cause for shame because, look at this, I know, I know, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see what he's doing? He's preaching truth to himself. The Bible says that the word of God is active, alive and active, and sharper than any double-edged sword. Preach truth into your heart. You're disappointed, you're discouraged. Let the word of God be the salve of God's spirit that brings healing. Notice fourthly is the word to progress. How do we see this? It's an encouragement by Paul to grow, continue to grow in Bible intake. I didn't. I use the word Bible intake because sometimes if I say study, people think of homework, reading, memorize. You can put all the. The whole point is, is that the Word of God should be saturating your life. Hello, now. People get one-year Bibles this time of year. They get study plans, and they get all this great ambition to read the Bible, and we want to encourage that. That's a good thing. Don't be worried about the quantity of your Bible reading, but the quality of your Bible reading. It is better to read one chapter a week and understand and remember what you're reading Tend to go through a little checkbox and don't remember eighty percent of what you read. Hello, have you ever done that? Have you ever been reading the Bible and it's like the Holy Spirit says, "Now go back and read it again," because you you're thinking about, you know, going through the Walmart pickup at two o'clock to get your groceries or something, right? It's amazing how you can be reading and daydreaming at the same time, like some of you are doing right now. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. It's better to read little and let the Word of God teach you than to think God is impressed because you read your Bible through in a whole year, but you really don't understand it, right? Bible intake. And we're going to talk about that beginning next week as we'll be looking at, a, at a, doing a series called Holy Habits starting on uh, next Sunday, the 5th. Where do we see this with Paul? Notice what he says in 2 Timothy 3.16. Very familiar verse. I have the New Living Translation here. It just gives a little different. He says, All Scripture is inspired by God, literally God-breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true. There's no fake news in the book. Teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Remember James talks about The person who looks in the Word of God, it's like looking in a mirror. It's like looking in a mirror. He said it teaches us what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Isn't that great? Just plain, plain language there. But he comes to verse 13 of chapter 4 in these last letters. We read it earlier, but let me emphasize it again. And I have the New Living Translation on the screen. He's telling Timothy, when you come, be sure to bring my coat. I left with Carpus at Troas. But look what he says. And also bring my, what? Your version might say parchments because that's more of what they were. And more than likely, they were the parchments. They were copies of the Old Testament scriptures because that's what, that was the only Bible Paul had, like the early church. And I love that because you know what he's saying? Remember, I'm in prison. I'm freezing. I'm cold. I'm near death. I've reconciled that I'm going to die. I'm not getting out of here. And that wasn't a morbid defeatism. He was just saying, I finished my race, okay? But yet, there's something still in Paul that says, but there's still some things... I want to know about God. I believe, just my belief, I'll find a verse somewhere in the maps to prove it to you. Um, I believe that what we learn of God in this life, we may not take and won't take anything else. But you know what? What we do here in learning and understanding God, we take that. In eternity, where our growing and our learning will be infinitely greater and more. So really hearing and growing and understanding that the word of God, the nature of God, the person of Christ, the Holy Spirit, really that's about the only thing you can do now that counts forever. Do you realize that? This is not a waste of your time. When you open the word of God and you read a little or a lot that is not a waste of your time. You're doing something that has eternal dividends and present dividends as well. I read something that from the uh, folks at Lifeway uh, did some research in studying the, how people spiritually grow. And they did a study of 4,000 people to study the spiritual growth. And they identified several attributes of how people spiritually grow, okay? The number one characteristic of how they grew as in discipleship that consistently showed up in the life of growing Christians is that there was Bible engagement. That was the number one attribute on the list of how they grow if you are not engaged in some type of Bible intake start now that's not a condemnation it's an encouragement start somewhere we put these little booklets or I don't we somebody does they magically fall from the sky they just appear Um, the Our Daily Bread it's pretty simple stuff It has a Bible reading plan in there. And we got a handful back there. I think that run through, I don't know, December or whatever, under January, February. They're in three-month quarterly installments. Take that. There's been a a handout in the back, at least for a couple years, of just a Bible reading guide. Don't worry about trying to, how much you're going to read. Just pick a lane and start somewhere. Read somewhere. Don't start in Leviticus pick the gospel of mark that's a short book short gospel start somewhere but begin to intake the word of god paul aged discouraged <coughs> disappointed he knew what god had told him when he wrote in romans 10:17 that faith comes by what hearing And hearing by the Word of God. And can I just put a plug in here? That's why it's important to be faithful in your attendance to church. Because you know what we're doing? We're opening the Word of God. This counts. We're doing that. You want to study the Bible? What are we doing? This counts. R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite writers, who's with the Lord, said something in quotes on the screen. He, had, he addressed the question of why we don't really read and study the Bible. He says this, Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull or boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. You know that's true, and I know that's true. We live in a day, Sherry's dad and her mom is in the back, her, her uh, husband, Woodrow. There's terms that her dad, my dad, wouldn't even know anything about. If I said to my dad, who's been with the Lord since 2000, what is that? That'll be that's 19 years. If I said, Dad, I'm binge-watching whatever, and you know, i like, what? What are you drinking, or what are you doing? Binge, what are you? He wouldn't have any concept. He wouldn't have any concept of a tweet. He wouldn't have any concept of social media. So, listen, we have got a gazillion channels that we have access to. I love everybody's giving up cable, and now they're paying for eight streaming channels, right? Like they're giving up something. Um, We've got all of this television and entertainment, and gosh, we're not being legalistic. I enjoy all that good stuff. But I would be telling you a lie if there's times the Lord says... How's this balancing out, Tim? Oh, you studied for the message. You studied for this. You did this. But I'm just talking about where I can spend time talking into your life, not just doing it as a professional, where I can spend time speaking into your life, spending time. Listen, if we go back to the fact that God chose us and he saved us, I've got a suspicion That God likes to spend time with us. Anybody you want around for eternity, you better love them. Hello? And we're gonna be with him for eternity. And he loves us. And he wants us to have not religion. People get religious certain times of the year. We want a relationship. Maybe your relationship has grown cold, that happens. Maybe a lot of these factors and disappointments are just crowded out. But because you've gotten in such a routine, nobody would really know because you keep up your spiritual routines. But inside, there's a coldness there. The Lord is reminding us today to allow the warmth of his spirit and using the word of God to bring a warmth in relationship. I believe that when we do not partake of God's word... We hinder the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That's the tool. It's word and spirit, word and spirit. Number five, and I'll go through these quickly. Persevere. Paul says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. You've heard me say the only good fight is the fight you what? You win, right? I told you about that time I lost a fight. Of course, I was in fifth grade, so don't, you know. He says, I have fought the good fight. He would say in 1 Timothy 6.12 earlier, he would encourage Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith, of the faith, not just of faith, but of the faith, of the gospel. Why, Why is that difficult? Because life happens. We're talking about persevering. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. Persevere. Keep moving forward. You remember what James says? We won't turn to it. James 1.3, when he says that when trials come into our life, the testing of our faith does what? It produces perseverance. But what knocks us off from the path of perseverance? It's because life happens. People, circumstances, health Sometimes it seems like in a week's time, a tsunami of chaos can pour into our life. Have you found that to be true? Maybe not even a week. How about 48 hours? How about 24 hours? You realize you've been sleeping or something because the situation is like, is chaos. And you feel like the enemy is just banging at your door. And you feel like this is it. Kind of like Fred Sanford. This is it, Elizabeth. I mean, this is the big one. It's not the big one until the Lord says it's the big one, first of all. And you know what God is doing? Teaching us to persevere, not give up. I love the esteemable theologian Mike Tyson. He has a great quote I like. Put that up on the screen. He says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That was from an interview, and he explained what he meant. He said, everything in the ring is uncertain except the will and energy of the combatants, because life happens. You may wake up one morning. You did your Bible reading. You prayed. You had a good breakfast. You didn't have to fill up the tank because your spouse left it empty. Things are going good. (laughs) Things are good, right? And then what? You got a plan for the day. And then life does what? It punches you in the mouth. And the key is... Are you going to persevere? What is your determination when life comes at you? Paul says he has fought the good fight. When we become believers, my friend, we step into the ring and you will get punched. You will falter. And the question is how you stand is how committed you are to the fight. And thankfully, we're not in the fight alone. Number six, perseverance is only possible if you have perspective. It's easy to lose. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.8, he's keeping perspective. Go back to that point. I didn't read the. We're keeping keep your focus on what really matters. Isn't it amazing how we get worked up over things that don't matter? I mean, they really don't matter. They seem like they matter, but they don't matter. The milk left out on the counter, okay. But really, it doesn't matter. By the way, these aren't little personal stories, I'm telling you, okay? They're not just little digs, all right? But as a young dad in years gone by, I hate to confess, but it's true, I made a big deal about a lot of things that didn't matter. And my kids will remind me of that. <clears throat> but sometimes, with people that we love and are around us, and even situations, a flat tire, somebody rear ends us in the 98. I mean, whatever the situation is, yeah, it's okay. You, you're going to have to take care of it. But in the grand scheme of things, Paul helps us to put in perspective when he says in verse 8, now, remember where he's at. Now there is in store, present reality, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Sometimes, and this all goes back to the other things we've talked about, is that we need to keep perspective We need to keep a heavenly perspective that in the grand scheme of eternity, these things will not matter. And the last key, the principle I think is perhaps maybe a key to to all these things. And that's the word pardon. Keep forgiving those who have wronged you. Now don't nod your heads because I'll see you. But has somebody wronged you this past year? Okay, I'll look away so you can just have the moment. Of course they have. And there will be new people in line to do wrong next year. Because they didn't get in on this year. They want to wrong you next year. Here's a little secret out of the bag. I bet you've wronged some people yourself. I have. Maybe not intentionally, but I know I have. Now, I want you just to hang with me, okay? Look at verse 11. Remember, we read this earlier, but notice there's something here that it's easy to just kind of glide by. Paul says, as he's wrapping up, he says, only Luke is with me. And he says, get Mark. Mark get mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry okay so what what I don't get it mark he had a mother by the name of Mary she was one of those Marys remember when we were doing our series i said there's about 6 or 7 different Marys in the bible And John Mark, or Mark, we know him from the gospel that is given to his name, Mark. Uh, He was a companion of Peter. So when you read the gospel of Mark, you're really reading the gospel according to Peter because Mark wasn't an apostle, Peter was. So Mark's account is probably Peter's account, okay? Mark, his mother, their home... Was used by the early church to to meet in, and we it's not on the screen, but in Acts twelve twelve, you can read that, where people gathered in the early church. Mary opened her home, and Mark, is probably a young man or a little boy, he was around all these all these Christians growing up. His uncle was Barnabas, and we come to chapter twelve twenty five. This will be on the screen. That you remember the Church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas and Paul, or Saul as he mentioned here, his name had not changed yet, they sent them on a missions trip to the Gentiles, and it says that when Barnabas and Saul, Paul, had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, and they took with them John, also called Mark. So Barnabas said, let's take my nephew on this missions trip that we're going to go on. And so in 13.5... It says, kind of fast forwarding, that when they arrived at Salamis, they, Barnabas and Paul and the others, proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And it says, and John Mark was what? He was with them. He was their what? He was their helper. You with me? All right? John Mark, he's with them. Something happens between verse 6 and verse 13. Because we see in verse 13 that from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. And it was in Pamphylia where what happened? John, that's John Mark, did what? He left them and he went back home. No big deal, right? Well, so now... Paul and Barnabas and some others are getting ready to hit the road again. And in Acts 15, Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. He wanted to take him along. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Why? Because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not continued with them in the work. And they, Barnabas and Paul, look at this, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. It's pretty bad. And Barnabas took Mark, and he sailed for Cyprus. Now go back to verse 11. Something took place because Paul's attitude of Mark wasn't too great, was it? He abandoned them. He went AWOL. He wasn't qualified for ministry. He left him in a lurch and, you know, he's not going anymore. We don't want him part of the team. But something happened when we come to verse 11 towards the end of Paul's life. What does he say? He tells Timothy to make sure you bring Mark. Why? Because he's helpful to me. Somewhere in that period of time, there was forgiveness, pardon, reconciliation. And some of you, some of us, one of the things that just lodges in our system that just can clog every way that God wants his spirit to flow in and through our lives is the sin of unforgiveness. Where we just refuse, we are not, do you know what they did? Yeah. Well, do you know what they did to Jesus? What did he do? Jesus said in Matthew 6 12, remember the Lord's prayer? That's part of our daily rhythm. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who what? Sin against us. Paul would write in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. And he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God in Christ forgave you. Disappointments. Maybe we'll probably have this message again. Disappointments in 2020. We could go through the same. What I, As we close, uh, sure, if you want to come. Look at verse again as we close this out. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. Verse 16. Remember, read this earlier, but he says, At my first defense, he's talking about before the, the courts there in Rome. He said, No one, no one, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. He said, May it not be held against them. There's the pardon, there's the forgiveness. But look at verse 17. Everyone abandoned but one. But the Lord, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. No matter how bad it got, no matter how bad it will get, no matter how intense the disappointments were or will be, one thing the child of God can say is the Lord stood with me. Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand has provided.